Pleasant good morning to you all. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Spotlight Lowdown. We're going to be doing something a bit out of the norm today. We've got a group of people in from Kodiak College to talk broadly with you about some of the social ramifications of what's going on with the COVID-19 pandemic globally, nationally, and locally. We're joined by Thea Falcone, the sociology professor. Was that your official title? Yes. Yeah, sociology professor at Kodiak College. And some of her students, Christopher Hill McLaughlin and Robin Callahan, should be a pretty engaging discussion based on what we've been doing so far. Uh, if you have questions you'd like the panel to discuss, uh, they'd be more than happy to talk about just about anything. Uh, give us a call or shoot us an email, lowdown at kmxt.org, and we'll try and get the question to the panel and see if they'll jump on it. Morning, you fine people. Good morning to you, too. Good yeah. morning. Morning. So tell us a little bit about yourself there, Professor Thea, and uh, we'll, we'll introduce everybody first, and then we'll go into a broader discussion about sociology and what it means and why it's, why it's interesting at this time. Okay. I had my, my relationship with Kodiak College started in 1982 when I started college and took a class. I was, Your relationship. Yeah, I considered a relationship. Um, I was 30 or 29. In what year? 1982. Huh. And then I went up to Fairbanks, got a degree. The last class I took while I was there was Introduction to Sociology, and I was like, what? This exists? Because it, it just made more sense than anything. I got a degree in social work. I, I didn't start over again. But then I came back to Kodiak, and uh, Carol Hagel, who was the... Um, director of the college at the time called me and said we have a class in social problems do you think you can teach it and I said yes even though I never thought of being a teacher because I needed a job and um, pretty much the first day in the classroom I realized yeah this is really good I you know you can turn people's heads pretty quick with this topic and then um, five years later I went and got a degree in uh, masters in sociology so that I could continue to teach so um, I uh, I think that I'm a sociologist because I can't not be. It's just how I see things. Huh. And there's there's a whole vocabulary behind me that to explain things that I didn't. I mean, I saw the things anyway, but there was no vocabulary to explain them. So that's my relationship with uh, sociology. So you've been a professor there at the university that's 20 years or so? I started as an adjunct in 1987. And, you know, then I went to graduate school outside in 92, and I taught at while well, I was in graduate school also, and then came back and taught again. I can't remember the year I became full-time professor. I'm not, I don't know how to tell time very well. <laughs> and then um, I could retire, I guess, but I'm not ready to because I like teaching. Well, Robin? Well, I came to sociology when I went back to college in my 30s and took intro to sociology. Didn't really know what it was. Needed a social science GER. And it was kind of the same thing. Um, it, I mean, I was already in my 30s in life, and it sort of helped me make sense of my own life and a lot of things around me. Everything just kind of fit in. And the things that you don't understand, it, I think it creates a great framework for how to look at things objectively um, and think critically. 
So um, I kind of got hooked. I took a couple more of these classes and got my associates and I've been slowly working on an undergraduate degree. Um, and I've, I've studied interdisciplinary, some anthropology, some sociology, um, but that sociology is really where my heart is. And, um, and now with all of these current events, I've been away from school a little bit. It's just really getting me thinking again, and I'm noticing that I'm using those same kind of brain muscles and way of looking at things in order to process what's going on right now with, with COVID and other current events. So, Christopher? So yeah, I'm Christopher McLaughlin. I kind of started out, I am currently, start, just for context, I am a student for mechanical engineering. And I got actually did also was in the same boat as Robin, where I took a class as a requirement, and I ended up falling in love, love with it really, Just especially with the teacher too. Not platonic, <laughs> platonic. <laughs> Thanks for She's clarifying that. She's kind of a that. legend, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a Kodiak legend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And yeah, it's a little background. I'm still working towards mechanical engineering, but I do have an interest in the subject. I. Is there anything more you want me to say? Then just let me know. Okay. For those not um, familiar, that familiar with the discipline, sociology, I mean, and particularly what you are all alluding to is the change in perspective of how you look at the world. Tell, tell me a little bit about sociology and what exactly it is you study and how that changes the perception of how you perceive your environment. Okay, the word sociology means literally study of people. And in sociology, we are looking at um, human behavior in the social environment, um, starting with groups, and a dyad is the most basic group. We're not looking at the individual and the individual's thought and emotional processes. We're looking at um, groups. There's an article I always have everybody read every semester by Peter Berger where he says um, th if you know if you understand sociology you understand that things are not as they seem you you know to really understand the world you got to look behind the curtains and underneath the rugs and uh, and that's what sociology does it you know makes that second level of investigation um, my making sense. Yeah, the way the way I kind of understood it, coming from high school, we all there's an elective in most <laughs> high schools for psychology. So people seem to have a pretty, you know, common understanding of what psychology is and looking at the individual and how they think. But sociology is saying, you know, individuals don't exist in a vacuum by themselves. We 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 exist in relation to other human beings and we're social creatures. So all the way from a, you know, a couple, a dyad, a marriage, all the way up through our institutions, whether it's healthcare, education, all these different, you know, social institutions that we've built in society, we're all a part of that system, whether we realize it or not, and that system is influencing us, and we are influencing those systems. So it, it does help look at how a, a different view, I guess, of reality or how to try to process things. Once you realize that there are things things going on that you didn't realize, I guess. That's what it helped me in, in my life, looking back at my, my background and, you know, things that I went through in life. I could go back and see how my family or my education kind of shaped that. 
you know, or socioeconomic background is one of them, or race, or all these different things, um, how they can impact your, your, your life as an individual and all the way up through society at large. So. The historical development of sociology, it hasn't already been, always been around, you know, but it's, this was... It's about 125 years old, probably. It's an outgrowth of... Philosophy. Philosophy. And then um, one of the early sociologists, Emil Durkheim, added the scientific process to that. And um, so it's really a branch of those two things. Um, philosophy, we, we're pretty philosophical, but we mostly ask, how is it that? Because we want to bring in that data. If you have, just for layman's terms, do you think of it as scientific philosophy? Right. Even though that's gross duplication, just that's the best way to understand it. That's a good way to understand it. Yeah, if you go back and study the, the basic thinkers in philosophy, because I actually took sociology first, went back and then took you know Mark Schreider's class, Intro to Philosophy, and I could see, like, oh, okay, I see where Max Weber and Karl Marx and some of these earlier sociologists, where they got their sort of, you know, basic thoughts, but then they, I think they try to take that and develop a theory and then like in in science take a theory and try to prove it through 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 data so there's a lot of you know qualitative quantitative like looking at actual numbers surveys how to do a an actual i guess what you would say a a good survey there's good surveys and bad surveys that's one Which of the I, big things i call them opinionaires <laughs> because they're garbage and I feel like, you know, so statistics, that's where you, sociologists love statistics. And, but, um, yeah. And then, but there's also the qualitative side, which I also, I see that a lot of that in anthropology. There are a lot, it's a lot more of studying and looking at people, kind of the participant observer. Through, um, through ethnography. And through yeah. stories and oral tradition and things like that. But I, I feel like with sociology, there's a, there's definitely that focus on the numbers too. But also, those numbers are, they mean something. Well, they're the, you know. the foundation. But there's a, a sociologist, Kai Erickson, who's son of Eric Erickson, who was, an, who was a... Viking? A psychologist. Oh. <laughs> and he, his, Ancestors his, his, <laughs> his methodology is, he goes out and like, um, if they're, well, he studies disasters. He goes out and, I don't know if he's still alive, though. He goes out and he interviews people and then kind of sees how many people say the certain things. But when he writes about the the story of that disaster, it's heavily peppered with the actual quotes. It, they're ethnographies for sure. Okay, so other than changing your perspective by taking a lot of sociology courses and teaching at you know a local level, what do you do? What does the traditional person with a sociology degree do you know for employment i don't really know well you know i have done some independent research before um i did a two-year study on four communities on kodiak island to see uh, an agency got a grant to do this to see what the risk factors were for youth in these four communities and then come up with a um a prevention strategy for them and that was a lot of fun there was, you know, both like, um, qualitative and quantitative research involved. I would vi uh, visit these vi um, communities and talk to people and do focus groups and um, 
talk to kids. Yeah, there's definitely the academic side, but then people go into like being research analysts, you know, working for think tanks or something so to influence policy. I mean, people may do that with a sociology degree or go into like law enforcement or study law or even medicine. Like it, it can inform basically any, it's a, it's a good foundation for anything that you would go into. An education, obvious one, but people who go in and uh, evaluate, need to understand people evaluate a program <laughs> or a um yeah a company it's usually a sociologist or someone with a sociological perspective or that mediation does mediation a lot of conflict that. mediation yep you know there was a, a prison near the school i went to graduate school and uh pretty much 100 percent of the people the corrections officers had degrees in sociology so you could do that why yeah. get the degree, though? More money. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. No, hey, I mean, okay, <laughs> what I, get, well, I guess what I'm trying to get, I'm, what I'm trying to get is, you know, it, you, you say that your perception of the world changes by thinking in this particular way. How does it change the way you think to where, you, you know, you're looking at local trends, statewide trends, national things my perception was always this way and when i took sociology there was a, a vocabulary and um a, a body of research that i could lean on it was like oh all right i'm not the only person thinking like this. it's not that it changes how you think it informs and can explain it, and it's a way of understanding the world I can which i think a lot of in disciplines are i can attest to that so i started now <laughs> Huh. I'm converting him. <laughs> he thinks he's an engineering student. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to make money somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's a, <laughs> that's a perfect example. You could be a. You can go into corrections. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Come on. <laughs> would you not? Hey, I, mean, I know what, at least two police officers on this force yes. with degrees in sociology. Former students of mine. Yep. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, with, for me, it's not, it's just, I'm more tech-based, honestly, that's just my personal opinion, I'm just more tech person than a per people's person. But, but does this make you a kinder and gentler and warmer tech person? I guess it does, especially helps with IT. <laughs> <laughs> Understanding people. Sometimes I don't know if he's joking or not. <laughs> well, and it's also, it's a foundation for going into, like, say, studying architecture. I mean, you say engineering, but... If you're going to design buildings for people and spaces and community planning, you need to understand how people interact in, in their different institutions and their families and their churches and their schools um, and how they go about yeah, in the world. City actually, planners often have degrees in sociology also. That's yeah. true. Yep. And just for context, I actually work currently in IT right now. That's why I made the joke. But that's mm -hmm. a good example of sociology and engineering field. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay, so the the broad picture of social interactions through institutions through culture through um that gets us right into the covid you know and what kind of things that are being disrupted due to the covid everything that's, every that's a really Literally good question everything at yeah. every level from individual <laughs> yeah. and families and household all the way up through our institutions every social institutions being um, overwhelmed, you know, radically. It's, I would say radical, radical disruption. Yeah, honestly, it sounds. Even though it sounds kind of cheesy, there's no better way to sum it up. Uh, sadly, yeah. Even though it's 
not the answer people want to hear. Right. And, and it's not over. Yeah, it's definitely not over. It's going to continue for a while, even after the vaccine, which will even take a couple of years, too. So what does a sociologist do then? Just sit back and analyze it? And and do you suggest changes for it? Or do you just passively, uh, you know, watch things change and then comment on it later? Mike, how long have you known me and have I ever been passive? So Once. Uh, <laughs> I, remember, I but, think you were asleep, though. Yeah. <laughs> when I was doing that research, uh, somebody mentioned to my daughter, I always saw your mom in this community. What's she doing? And she said, I don't know. She has coffee and talks to people. I don't know what she's doing. So basically, that's kind of what we do. Well, we're doing the show. We're trying to right. help spread an understanding and a way of looking at things in a time that's really difficult for people and sometimes it calls for some perspective and and some compassion and some empathy when we're all adjusting to you know we hear about the new normal and some people are more resistant to a new normal or the possibility of a new normal or is this or some people are like nope this is still temporary you know everyone's on their own path but but we're all kind of in this together so it, it, I think it, so that's another thing that sociology does is it, it helps you have that, that perspective to, to step back. I mean, and the example um, is just like using a mask, you know, that how that has become such a hot button, whether you're wearing one or whether you're not wearing one, it's like, but there's, there's things that we do that we don't realize we're already do every day for the benefit of others. You know, and the joke is, you know, we wear pants or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> you know, we, we dress right. ourselves, you know, that's, we're just, we do things as a courtesy to others, even if we personally don't like it. So that, that's just one example that ha I think has a lot of sociological thinking built in, but. But you're not trying to fix anything, right? We can't fix it. I mean, um, can I, make, like that study I did, I suggested possibilities but really people have to kind of want to fix it themselves and it's you can do research you can help try <clears throat> to inform policy that's a big thing is they're saying well we didn't really have a plan for this and governments didn't have a plan for this and this isn't being you know things aren't being implemented fairly especially when you talk about business closures and who's allowed to open up and who's not allowed to open up and how this is affecting our economy and all the social sciences overlap and intertwine we don't exist in silos with sociology over here psychology here you know economics over here it's all interrelated so um i think that it's still looking for solutions and that there's things that you can it helps you it helps you think in a solution-based way we, um, and doing the research helps inform actual policies too yeah uh, we can inform people but we can't really make we can make them take action especially with the process going on but if only people actually listen to us <laughs> yeah. If people just know we were right, then it would yeah. be really easy. Like, I've been yeah. saying that all my life. <laughs> yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say, what I meant to say is if people take the information into account, then they have to act on it to actually inside change. Right. But where's the information coming from? I mean, what kind of data studies are being done right now? Well, I don't, you know, there's a lot of information coming and you have to wade through it to see what is valid and what is not um, and I think that's part of the problem is that people are looking for answers because it's very different it's a different world now and um, some people 
can think more critically than others about evaluating that information um, and others can't. Now, there's no solutions to this yet, but I could tell you something, some things I think are um, not going back to what they used to be. We've become um, very comfortable, well, well, not comfortable with Zoom, but we've, we're using it more and more and more. And I think it's going to be the way it is. I mean, I think we're going to... Yeah. Is this kind of off topic? No. Nope. No, no, it's not. It has to do with the, the restrictions of being around people. Um, I don't think... I think there'll be uh, families that won't want their kids back in the classroom. They'll want to keep them home and homeschool more and more and more. Um, so that's, yeah, implications on education, the workplace, because... Right. You know, do we need to sit in an office for 40 hours a week? More, you know, I, more doctors are going to do, you know, they've been pushing telemedicine, but now they're kind of embracing it just to keep people out of the clinic. Yeah. So, um, that. and when I said it was off topic, I was going to lean at something else. Oh, okay. That's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Say it. No, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, Convenient. I was going to go off topic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, even the concept of social distancing, I, I heard at one point that they were, there was an effort to try to get away from that, you know, because we don't, we don't want you to social distance, like we physical want distance. you to be it's yeah. physical distancing, not social distancing. We're not, we don't want to isolate ourselves socially. And then there's cultural implications in that. And too. as far as fixing things, I think everything's just been happening to everyone like we feel like this has just been happening to individuals to families to systems to institutions and it has to go on to, to where there's a point where we can start going okay this isn't really changing we do have to start determining how we're going to like buckle in for the ride and what those solutions are going to look like and how things have changed how adapt, yeah. and some are more some individuals are more open to that than others um so. the airlines are changing a lot and I don't see them going back. I mean, they'll eventually fill every seat in the plane, but they're not going to serve food on the planes ever again. Thank you. I don't uh, think they will. And, no, I mean, yeah. And I'm good with the peanuts. <laughs> uh, um, the chicken stuff they sell. I don't know. They've, they've, uh, Alaska airlines has got ridden. Uh, uh, they've gotten rid of a number of flights. I, I don't see them adding them again. Not for a long uh, time. They're still going to charge us out the wazoo to fly here, though. Oh, right. And their their customer service has gone down really bad. They used to be good at it, and now they're not so much. Okay. I'm gonna, systems are overwhelmed, yeah. I'm going to reel you in a little bit here. Okay. All right. You're kind of rolling. Good luck. <laughs> Social life overwhelmingly regulates the behavior of humans largely because humans lack the instincts that guide most animal behavior. Humans, therefore, depend on social institutions and organizations to inform their decisions and act actions. Given the important role organizations play in influencing human actions, it's sociology's task to discover how organizations affect the behavior of people. That's true. We don't have instincts like animals have. We have reflexes. But um, going through time, you know, beginning with hunter-gatherers, we created these social institutions to meet our needs because, you know, we couldn't do them individually and we didn't want to have to re reinvent them every generation. But now we've forgotten we invented them and we can change them if we want. That's part of the problem. They've just kind of evolved. They evolved. Yeah, and people think, like oh, the government. But we created the government. It's, well, but it's you're not the other. You're looking at the structural... <laughs> uh, 
structural forces that that guide who we are as individuals and that's all external though that's you got the solo person who have a, a, a we're gravitated towards other people which is why the COVID is so difficult for us to be able to process right we're social animals so now all of the organizations that we've relied on to sort of make us who we are and that we kind of trust on and that's what our worldview is are changing oh yeah they're all in flux and and not putting out concrete information you know that the masses are kind of looking for so from there we go into what's the new norm right (laughs) right yeah you know starting the basic place you start is the family how is the family structure changing how how much how much is it changing and then um, you have to answer the question. You can't just ask that. No. You have to ask the question. No, that sociology asks the question. No. <laughs> I'm here to learn. You know? 101, Wednesday nights. No way. No way. <laughs> I knew this was a shameless plug for your class. No, I, I wasn't going to. Um, we yeah, attempt solutions. to answer, but really, it's the questions that are more interesting. You just throw the questions out there and let people ruminate them on, on them themselves? Uh, yeah, it makes sense. That's how ideas form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems like a, a great job. Awesome. <laughs> well, and I, I guess that's what someone chooses as a thesis or something. They decide to look at, you know, a certain part of the discipline and actually do that research and and answer those questions and and contribute to the greater body of knowledge. I mean, just an example, this medical sociologist I was reading about, I mean, their main study and focus is vaccinations and reluctancy to vaccinate, okay? That's just one little subject within the the fields of medicine and sociology. Um, So yeah, they are actually, I think in any discipline, that's the whole point is, looking for those answers and adding those answers to the body of knowledge to move that forward and but it's not a it's it's a barge it's not a it's not a skiff yeah like we're just gonna figure this out and go for it and we're in such a state of flux that there's going to be more questions than answers right now and that's literally i was just reading there's like this call from sociological journals like hey you know, we need people to look at this. We need people to look at these different areas and study them and, you know, get back to us. We need this information to inform how we're going to move forward. So does that help you? No, no. It's not quick. Zero. <laughs> then you should study engineering. <laughs> well, I'm gravitating towards the fix, you know. Oh, okay. Where, you know, if to identify the problem, we can easily identify the mm-hmm. problem. But what you're saying is that there is just by identifying it we're we're not getting to the end well have we really identified the problem i don't think we have oh because they keep (laughs) popping up yeah well exactly depends on what you mean like the problem with the coronavirus itself that's easy with a cure but that's not going to solve employment that's not going to solve social distance well actually it's not going to solve unemployment it's not going to solve well, you look at is- issues it- like kids being home from school and, and things like domestic violence being on the rise, like all of those things. There's a lot of layers Don't to just it, yeah. go away. Exactly. You know, yeah, the impacts. Like, it's an onion. Yeah, an onion. So we were talking about the hall and out in the hallway, remember? And, you know, at the inside of it, you have the, in- it's like, it's like rings in a, a 
like rings in water. What do you call those? Or like, I don't know. I think of like a tree. Or like, yeah, if you throw a pebble and it goes I, out. I, I, yeah, I know it's more, it's more, it, yeah. it's more flexible than yeah. that. Um, and if there's changes in the family, then there's changes in the school. It ripples change, You know, in every level that changes, changes something else on the next level. It, and if you, you know, you start at the big end of it, it changes everything down to the little end. Humans aren't static. Human society isn't static. It's always changing. If it yeah. was, we'd still be hunter-gathering. Yeah. Yeah, but there's not an accelerant quite like what's happening right now, though, right? Um, I mean, you know, you could have a little, uh, you can have a war in Ethiopia or something like that that may only mm -hmm. have minor implications. This it's thing globally has... globally jarring. Uh, yeah. yeah, this yeah. thing has affected everybody in the world. And it's the third one in my lifetime. No way. Yeah, way. Third what? Pandemic. Something that has affected every single individual in the world. Because I really think this probably has affected everybody. Pretty much everyone in the world. You well, that's the born. definition of a pandemic. Is that right. it, you know, it affects... And, well, I wrote down dates. For Are you talking about Ebola? No, I'm talking about the Hong Kong flu in 1968. That was a pandemic. Oh, right, yeah. But people were, like, more... Well, we didn't have the internet. Yeah. Right. right, the internet's right. a big thing. How, and how is that... You know, good playing and, in this. Good or bad, it's a really big channel information where, yeah, it's a really big channel. A new one. Good information, bad information. And yeah, there's the problem. People have bad. to sort through and figure it out. What's good, what's bad. Yeah, they can no longer rely on newscasters and such to parse the information. Even though they were biased back then, it, but now it's like there's many more options. It's getting overwhelming for people. So they settle on what they agree, usually agrees with them. I don't have to be... That's just how bias works. Yeah. Right, and then it informs everything else you do. Yeah, like... Well, I can't find it. Though, saying that bias isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just means what you agree with. Like, you get... There's a good, what really determines whether or not information is reliable, and this is off-topic, sure, but whether or not it's factual, and it's factual, and based in data. That's a real difference. Because bias, I, I'm i not going to go too far, actually. Never mind. Well, it does play in this. I mean, how do do does society have a trust in, like, what source? Like, you know, you've got the CDC and the World Health Organization coming out. And, and these are entities that kind of, I think, people in the past have just not questioned. You know, it's like, oh, well, they're saying this, or ABC News is saying this, and, like, these are facts, and everybody gets in line. But there, that doesn't exist anymore. There's, it doesn't matter what information comes out or how, how, how much you can verify the source, there's that general distrust, or does this fit my narrative, so am I going to believe it, and am I going to change my behavior based on it? And I, and I think a lot of it, again, is based in, in fear. That's a factor it's marketing a scary too. Thing. Like where people say generally, bat, do bad faith, bad faith argument, which means you argue something you don't believe in. Usually, just a way to make money. Like go look at examples like Fox News, Breitbart, and I know I'm. Not... Go ahead. Yeah, Fox News, Breitbart, Daily Wire, and also these, <laughs> also these ads on YouTube where a bunch of streaming services are trying to go for anti-conserv, anti-liberal. I uh, saying like, you know, gung ho. I'm, 
I can't say it without going to memes, so I don't know. He's <laughs> <laughs> like a younger generation. He's like, I need pictures. I need to show this in a meme. Yeah, no, I how, do I show just, how do I, I just do this I need auditorily. to the yeah, older generation, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, basically, the gung-ho America and free... Uh, and I, I need to point out, Chris, narrative. it goes the other way, too. Yeah. That's what's so confusing. You're being inundated with... Um, multiple perspectives and you kind of have to figure it out and they don't really have as you pointed out the real information yet exactly yeah i'm just pointing out no entity is being trusted as this can be believed no matter what your political leaning no matter what you know right this is the source we don't have so we have to ask questions so people think of them when they're looking at the information yeah like question everything really don't be cynical like don't disbelieve everything just based on because you don't believe in it. You just don't don't take it at face value. Look into it. Actually, verify what much as you can, and then make your own judgments on that. Because even a fa- even a unreliable news source has equal to truth truth in it, even if they try and pastor spin it a certain way. Spin yeah. it a certain way. Yeah. yeah. Solutions. He's looking more he and more confused. confused. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I just want solutions. <laughs> no, no I, I just want to know, like, w- what it means. You know, w- what does it mean that it's affected everybody in the whole world? Institutions, <laughs> excuse me, are going to be disrupted. Everybody has been disrupted. And now we're trying to make adjustments to that. And from uh, on a, even at the local level, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of a uh, institutional changes and social behavior changes and things are we looking at but you know other than well we're going to go to zoom um god forbid Um, (laughs) do you wake up sometimes going i've lived too long (laughs) yeah i get get 21 years old i I appreciate the fact that you're here because it's a lot easier having a conversation like this than it is over zoom i can't imagine you know I'm not one of those people that would do well in a college class when I had to sit in my room and watch it on TV. Yeah, Yeah, that's the argument some of us make is that um, at least not the first year. Well, and especially for our K-12 population, I mean, that is not and definitely not an even playing field for all students to have to do distance education. Some are going to do better with that than others. I mean, So that's going to change locally. Yeah. There's also people like me who are the younger generation who also believe in what you believe, like for in-person is better and don't do well with social, social, not social distancing, uh, long distance learning. Yeah. But there's also, there's a lot of studies out there showing that younger generations are dealing a lot more with things like social anxiety, <clears throat> they actually prefer that distancing, you know. But I'm sorry, online. I've seen the product. I'm not saying that's good. <laughs> I'm just saying that it, how is that going to change things when you have the younger generation, a lot of them being totally fine with this, you know, because it's comfortable in the short term. But what are the implications in the long term? Right. Also, getting used to not being around people or interacting with right, people. Right, and not getting face. a full measure of what they're studying so how yeah. illiterate are they in that topic? Not only that, you're also missing the social element of it, like the nuances that we talk about, like sociology, where people don't really see until you point it out. Mm-hmm. Like, learn how to we learn how to interact with people, learn how to 
like judge. well the irony of having a sociology sociology class online yeah it's, it's yeah. a study of human interaction yeah and it's like <laughs> and i think thea like what she would do in a lot of classes she's throw us in groups and and we're, we just think we're doing some activity or whatever but i mean she's looking at it looking at us as a sociologist and watching these group dynamics and and we're acting out this these ideas without even realizing it and and then she can turn around and show that mirror you know like this is what i saw and you know so that's hard to do in an online environment yeah imagine like having a group scenario where someone has to decide a leader and there's one person stealing a bunch of stuff in the back storing you're gonna miss <laughs> like that. he's talking about an actual game we played yeah basically <laughs> they'd be like the toilet paper hoarders right? yes yeah. he was yeah he I, was. <laughs> I was yeah basically you're gonna miss that in an online class because they're gonna folk i'm not making sense am i yeah, you are to me yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just gonna be changing perspective yeah i guess you're gonna miss i'm trying to say you're gonna miss out a lot of things you don't expect with right, that right scenario okay i i want to do a do say a plug for the local response team i'm impressed that they are on top of the task i was um i had flown down to western washington and then all shut down every i mean I, it happened down there there was nothing like that going on our little town they're on it already i mean nobody had even showed up positive yet and they were already on it what to do so um Kind of lucky that hasn't really affected us that much. That's that's our community, how our community responds, and I don't think that's going to change. I, that it's something I've been watching a long time is that this community really does respond to change in a positive way. Well, there's a big picture question. I mean, is is there value to the smaller communities that we live in other than the giant, you know? Right. I in mean, times like this. Well, I'm not living anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. What I mean People is from choose. a sociological <laughs> point of view, you know, having grown up in a big city, I know that it was compartmentalized. There right. was a lot of little tiny communities to sort of give you that local engagement. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a medium-sized community, I didn't see the same kind of thing. In a small community like this, you have those dynamics. Well, when True. you go to the store... Uh, people interact with you. They know your you work at KMXT. You're Keeley's dad. You're you know they know you in a bunch of different roles, so you feel more whole. But in a big city, they might only know that you're the guy that works at the radio station. I do. Have so you don't feel as I'm number three hundred sixty-two on the pastrami line. Yes, right. really, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I th I think small town life's better, but. Some people want the autonomy. Well, you think about the, in sociology, how they do the diagrams of showing connections of humans, you know, like, that's how it is here. There's so many, like, like the six degrees of separation in Kodiak, every individual could have a connection with another individual in many different ways. Right. So I think that helps in this kind of um There's more people situation. you can call on if you need help. You know what I mean? I do a bit of a counter-argument, like, in that... Smaller communities are always better. And I say this, just a little background, I am Native Alaskan. I know people who are, who have, are, live in villages. Not that well, I'll, I'll admit, but still enough to actually get an idea of what it's like. And from what reports I've been seeing, they've been hit really hard with the flu, 
with coronavirus. Like, they've been cases been exploding across villages. And in fact, we're actually kind of lucky he hasn't come here in more ways than that. I think it's because we're kind of prepped for it. We have resources for it, but villages have usually been under-resourced. Oh, yeah. Good point. So I think it's a factor of both being sm- having being a small community and being well prepped. Right. And and that was my argument that this particular community is ready to step right. up to the plate. Like I remember the oil spill, you know, that um they they met in the in the auditorium every day from like what was it, nine hours. Yeah. And then when they couldn't do that anymore because people had to go back to work, they put it on the radio. And um, by the time the oil hit, we were ready. Yeah. And that's different than um, most places. Especially with places that rely on subsistence hunting. Yeah. Yeah. And for our size community, we have, we're lucky to have the medical resources that we have, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. So what kind of trends are you folks seeing that sort of fascinate you? Well, for me, it goes into politics, but I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> Um, it's hard for it not to. Yeah. So basically in Alaska or in the United States as a whole? Or Kodiak. Or Kodiak. Like what yes. level do you want? all those. Okay, from... <laughs> I, since I'm going to start from the beginning, uh, Bush mentioned earlier about mass becoming a political statement, and there's a lot of downplaying with the, and with the virus going on with our local... Our, not, our federal governments... Like, I am hesitant to go into this because it is pol- it is politics, one thing, but... Well, we can just talk about a general trend. For You, you identified the subject, masks, and, and so at a federal level, I guess that's troubling. It is, yes, but the problem is you can't really discuss the f- federal response policies without bringing in politics, such as how ingrained... But that's bled down to us on a local level, too. True. But mm-hmm. I'm mainly thinking about how, like, say, the our federal government is currently threatening to withhold any financial resources from with the coronavirus, deal with the coronavirus pandemic if they, if they make a requirement of people wearing masks. State governments do that. Yeah. I'm mainly talking... That's what I'm mainly talking about when I say... Well, how policies affect, and they, they trickle down. Yeah. Because they're, they're making a claim about the Constitution, that the Constitution guarantees you don't have to wear a mask. Yes, that's one way to... That's an, there is... It's a simplified version of it. Yeah. Oh. She's just giving us the two-minute thing, so oh, we're going to have to sum this up. Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> so solve the problems for us in a minute and a half. So. I, I, okay, I'm just going to come back to saying just <laughs> perspective and trying to have some empathy. I mean, and thinking about that we're all in this together. I mean, that might not be, I don't know if that's a sociological thing to say, but that's what that perspective does for me. It makes me step back and realize that we're all parts in this and um, understand that everybody's trying to figure something, figure it out, whether it's an individual or a family or an institution. And yeah, try to find ways where you can plug in and do something to be a part of the solution. And what I would say is, if you're faced with understanding something, just ask, in whose interest is it? Because <clears throat> it's probably not in yours. But anyway, 
ask that. Yeah, that's a good question. It's not going to be in the interest of poor people. It's not going to be in the interest of people of color. Who is making out, making... Um, who's a, benefiting from yeah, what's who's, being proposed. Who's getting a profit by that? What? How does that inform what you do then? I mean... Think before you act. Think. I'm assuming you're thinking before you act. It's like one of those questions go down like a checklist. Where you, <laughs> yeah, basically, Think? it's like the scientific method. I know I'm going to get like a C plus in this class. <laughs> no, you're asking good questions. You're, you're stellar. Yeah, right. I'll be the guest jump. Uh, As for me, I just say question everything you see, read. Don't dismiss it outright. Just delve a little deeper. Take it with grain of salt. <laughs> you know, thank you folks for coming in and sharing with the community. I hope uh, people put something in their head to give them something to think about as they navigate their way through this whole process. Yeah. Well, we'll know when we get back outside whether you yeah. respond to people. Who benefited from this? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. In whose interest? Yeah. All right. You guys have a good day. Thanks thank for you. being with us thank today. You. Thank you.